America. We are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Do you want to know what it's like to hang out with MS-13 in El Salvador? How the Russian mafia fought battles all over Brooklyn in the 1990s? Or what about that time I got lost in the Burmese jungle hunting the world's biggest meth lab? Or why the Japanese Yakuza have all those crazy dragon tattoos? I'm Sean Williams. And I'm Danny Gold. And we're the hosts of the Underworld Podcast. We're journalists that have traveled all over, reporting on dangerous people and places. And every week, we'll be bringing you a new story about organized crime from all over the world. We know this stuff because we've been there. We've seen it. And we've got the near misses and embarrassing tales to go with it. We'll mix in reporting with our own experiences in the field. And we'll throw in some bad jokes while we're at it. The Underworld Podcast explores the criminal underworlds that affect all of our lives, whether we know it or not. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? Oh, Tim, you know me. I can't complain. Everything's going great. How are you today? Oh, I am great as well, Lance. And uh, even better because we got to talk to our buddy, Christopher Garitano, filmmaker, screenwriter, all around great dude. Yes, I would dare to call Christopher a renaissance man, uh, a modern day renaissance man. Uh, always fun to talk to him about current events and how they relate to past events, how they relate to things like the Twilight Zone and how uh, that sort of pop culture from many generations to now uh, is kind of a mirror of what's going on in, in our current day uh, society. And never, never a dull conversation with him. We could literally throw a dart at a wall of topics and he would come back with 20 minutes of really relevant uh, feedback about whatever that dart hit. That's absolutely right, and uh, we ha- have had a lot of fun chatting with Christopher in the past and on our uh, one of our spinoff podcasts called Beyond Strange World. Last summer, the summer of 2019, we did kind of a spinoff here on Crawl Space and aired eight episodes of a show called Beyond Strange World, which was based on Travel Channel's Strange World that aired in the summer of 2019 and into the fall that starred our friend Christopher Garitano. And we had him on for these episodes, and so you can also listen back in this feed or check out its own feed, Beyond Strange World, and subscribe there. We've got a bunch of conversations with him if you like this. Yeah, and Chris has got a number of projects that he's working on. Uh, One of them I want to highlight, it's uh, South Texas Blues, if anyone is a fan of uh, graphic novels. And uh, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, this is a graphic novel that is written in three parts, and it is about Toby Hooper's journey getting Texas Chainsaw Massacre made and and how that became the cult phenomenon and spanned several sequels, a franchise, a reboot uh, from this one small movie that was shot in sweltering heat in Texas. And Christopher does a great job with the... Um, narrative of this and he he wrote and created it and the illustration in book one is by a gentleman named trevor cook amazing stuff and christopher also has a brand new podcast called off to the witch which is really interesting it's an interview show and it's with a lot of people that he finds really interesting so make sure to check that out the first episode he did was with the infamous hitchhiker from the texas chainsaw massacre of course that's edwin neal And be sure to check out Chris's website at mtkchronicles.com. That's mtkchronicles.com. You can pick up your copy of South Texas Blues. You can read about his podcast, and you can read about his award-winning documentary, The Montauk Chronicles. 
Okay, everybody, thanks a lot for listening. Make sure to follow us on social media and stay tuned till the end of the episode where we do week three of our true crime riddles. And you can follow along at crimeriddle.com. Okay, everybody, hope you enjoy this great conversation with Christopher Garitano. Welcome back to the podcast, Christopher Garitano. How's it going? It's going pretty good, man. Existing throughout this year. It's been an absolutely bizarre year. Some good things came with it, but um, it's uh, it's like walking down an unknown road, I'm sure, for everybody. You don't know when things are going to adjust so you can live differently. I don't want to say normally, but uh, at least different than this. I know, right? And it's, uh, well, after that intro that Tim just gave you, I felt like there should have been a sound effect of applause, like this, like a stadium applause, but um, but we can't all get together. There's There would be a socially distanced uh, applause. So, uh, yeah, I guess I don't think they have that sound effect yet. Which is a damn shame. It's a damn shame. But your, your analogy there, walking down a road, I agree with that. It's a road where you don't know where it's going and you've never been down before. I will add it's a... Uh, it's dark, um, unpaved, and you're being chased by a wild boar, an insane wild boar. Well, now he's stalking you because you're both exhausted, but you don't know <laughs> when he's going to get a blast of energy again and jump out of the forest. Exactly. <laughs> All fair. Uh, well, Christopher, we, we really got to know you last year in uh, 2019 when your television show, Strange World, aired on Travel Channel here in the U.S. of A. And uh, we did a show with you called Beyond Strange World, where we talked about your experiences on the show Strange World and all the wild experiences that you had on that show, whether they be paranormal or missing person related or other. And uh, some folks might remember Beyond Strange World. Uh, If you've listened to this show for over a year, I think that those episodes aired on this feed back last summer, starting last summer of 2019. Um, so you can go back and listen to, I think, eight Beyond Strange World episodes here on this feed. But tell us a little bit about the experience of making Strange World, and what did you learn? Oh, so much. Well, uh, the it started with, you know, I, I had a dream about, the show I wanted to make because I was really meditating on it while I was awake that night, but I, I dreamt about it and um, I woke up with the title and this is before anybody that was involved with me as a co-production uh, even knew about it. And so I spent the first uh, six months on my own developing the whole concept title included every episode, every concept, what it would be. And purely coming from me, it was, um, it, it it was like it ended up, but there were some things I felt were very crucial that, that should have been in the show. Uh, and so when you have a collaboration, you lose some things along the way because you have a lot of different personalities coming in. But ultimately, I was happy with the show. The experience making it, I learned everything from just being, you know, front and center for every moment. I mean, I wasn't just the host. I was the creator of the show and I directed recreations. I photographed a lot of those things myself. I built androids for the show, you know, for the recrees. Um, It was exhausting. It was exhilarating. Uh, It was an ultimate challenge that I was looking for. And meeting the people along the way and traveling. I mean, it was high intensity the whole time. Uh, You know, we we were a traveling circus from state to state, uh, 17 hour days, and always having to be on point because I'm front and center and having to converse with people and be ready to speak to people and be in the moment. These are all subject matters that I was 100% interested in all the time. So this was my show. This was it. This is what I needed. So I I came in with full energy, 100% all the time. It was an amazing experience and it, it taught me so much going forward on everything else. Uh, and it, you know, I took everything seriously. I never stepped in there uh, with this kind of uh, removed perspective, like I'm just doing a job. You know, I really wanted to know about the things I was exploring. These were my ideas, everything from the James Dean episode to, 
you know, real life superheroes to all that stuff came from me before the show even became a show. So these were things I was truly interested in exploring. And, um, you know, I, I want to continue with this stuff. So I'm going to continue with it in new shows going forward when we're able to make them like we did, because I certainly don't want to make a, uh, a show about me sitting on a couch watching my show, you know, like I, I've seen a few of those and it's, yeah, I'd rather sculpt something or, you know, write a book, which I'm doing, but it's like, you know, I want to make these shows and I have elaborate ideas. I want to break boundaries that these, a lot of the networks set for, uh, for the shows, they're so typical, they're very repetitive and they happen the same way every episode, every season. I really think it's time that we get some innovative people to step forward and create these things because it's for the audience, you know? Yeah. And do you think that with uh, the pandemic happening and everyone's been in isolation and then we sort of came out of isolation a little bit and um, we might have even forced that a little too soon, just the overall experience of what we've gone through in the past uh, few months since, uh, you know, the beginning of 2020 and how the industry, uh, especially the television industry and also the podcast industry, but mostly the entertainment industry in terms of television, how that's affected them. Um, do you think that they will be open now for more groundbreaking uh, storytelling devices? The things that you're talking about, um, breaking barriers and not always sticking to the safe route, like you said, the safe route, which is you get a successful show, a successful host. So what's what's the next step? Having that host watch and react to his own show like that is so easy and so 2019 <laughs> i do you feel like all of everything that we are going to come out of will set you up and and people like yourself to be successful in breaking those boundaries a hundred percent i mean, even before we went into lockdown i had three shows ready to go i had offers were on the table but these people couldn't with these production companies couldn't move forward they, we didn't know. We thought, okay, this will be over by June. So there was an offer and we were discussing it. And they were 100% positive to go forward, you know. And then what do we do? There, this, is, this is that road we're talking about with this boar following us. It hasn't stopped. Uh, will the companies be interested in doing it? I'm going to do it anyway. I have my own production company. So what I'm going to do is create, because I think a lot of, some folks have imaginations, they can read and, and they, they, they'll resonate with it. And I think some networks, let's say like Shudder or these new kind of fledgling networks that, that are innovative and trying things that are not being done on some of these other networks will take a chance. And it's not about, you know, money is the only thing on certain people's minds. Money is disposable. You have it, it goes away. But if you start with the incentive to make something lasting, make something forever. You know, Rod Serling came out of war and poverty and all sorts of struggles and made something that we're watching more than 60 years later. I guarantee you the shows that we mentioned earlier, no one's going to be watching in 60 years. They're going to go down the drain. They'll be deleted from a hard drive because they mean nothing. And so I'm here for a reason. I don't know how many years I have left. I could go tomorrow. I can go in 50 years. I want to make something important. If people scoff at that, I have no truck for them. I don't even want to be around them. Go, go play golf and collect your money and take it to the, to the coffin with you. I don't care. It's but I'm here to do something. <laughs> that's it. my passion. Yeah. Well, that's great. No, and it definitely comes across in your work. And uh, the root of your work, I mean, it, it's, uh, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, we've talked about Bigfoot. We've talked about ghosts with you. We've talked about missing people. First, let me ask you, has any, have you learned anything new in that realm, in the paranormal realm lately, um, that you need to report uh, to us on? Okay. Here's what I have to say about this. We will never learn anything new with absolute um, trickery, fakery, and repetition. So that's currently what you have on most of your paranormal displays. It takes an imagination to think of something different. And it also takes uh, courage of people who, you know, need to get out of their safe zone to allow it to happen. So let's say a network is funding it. So to learn something new about this stuff, yeah, you know, I, I attempted it on Strange World. Look at all of the things we did. Did you ever see anybody doing anything like the God helmet or search for James Dean's car? I mean, they did it after we did it, but, 
you know, we were, we were trying something different. And that's because I urged it from the beginning. I came in with those ideas. Now, if you look at those shows, they're very repetitive. Do I do this on my own? Well, from here, it's difficult to find anything new about the paranormal. I'm just trying to, you know, survive out here and uh, not get sick. And uh, which I was, I was in the hospital recently. So. Oh gosh, not COVID related. You know, I think it's the the stress of this year and a lot of things that were happening. And I was running on fumes. I was working nonstop. I'm working on multiple projects, not just setting up for uh, new TV projects, but you know, I just put out a graphic novel. I'm doing this podcast and I'm doing it all by myself, all the ancillary stuff, all the business stuff to follow. Everything is being done by me. So I, you know, there was a stretch where I was only sleeping maybe two, three hours a night. I ran myself into the ground and got very sick and, you know, I'm okay now, but I, I need to learn how to rest a little bit. I'm a, I'm a total motorhead. I don't, I don't stop. So, <laughs> all right. But we're, you know, word to the, the workaholics out there. You don't want to knock yourself out. Yeah. Well, definitely good, good advice. Yeah. It's only good in the, in, in short bursts. It's not sustainable and you learn that. So we're very happy to hear that you recovered from that and you're still able to successfully create your products. Um, I'm super curious. I want to talk about Off to the Witch, but I'm super curious about uh, your graphic novel, um, South Texas Blues. There it is. Yes. Tim, Tim, you've already read that, right? I just read it right now. Just looking at it. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you guys uh, copies. We, we could order them too. We want to yeah, support you. Yeah, we can you. definitely order them. Though. Oh, no, that's okay. You guys, you're supporting me right now. Uh, you know, getting the word out is, is, is so important. And um, it's for the audience, man. Whenever I'm, I know that you do the same because I listen to your shows. And um, you're making something for an audience. It's not for you. It's not for your bank account. Money's great. We, we want to make money and we do. But ultimately all of the above is available available for you if you're creating something powerful for the person to receive it or persons who will receive it so when i'm writing something i'm thinking about the audience it's like are they, are they going to enjoy this thing and i want them to you know i want them to enjoy anything that i do so i'm putting that much into it south texas blues is about that rewind back to 1970 uh the summer of 73 Toby Hooper, who went on to direct Poltergeist and a lot of Halloween, I'm uh, sorry, Hollywood movies that, that were enjoyed on Halloween. Uh, he was a nobody. He made a few documentaries and um, was struggling as a filmmaker. And he was parked in the parking lot of a department store. He was low on cash and he had to go in and get some stuff for the holidays. Okay. So he goes in there. This is in the, in the book. He goes into the department store. He's stressing out. There are people everywhere. He's becoming, you know, paranoid. And he sees a display of chainsaws in the distance. And he starts to have this fantasy of cutting his way out of the store. Toby told the story years ago. And so from that point, he had this idea for a potboiler horror movie that began with this idea, this inspiration. You know, the, the, the murderer in the movie is going to carry a chainsaw. So he got together with a, a ragtag group of people in Austin, Texas, and started this production. Imagine, if you will, you're on that set. You have this director who's just obsessed with getting things right or just doing something interesting. And nobody really believes that the project's going to go anywhere but a few drive-ins. And you flash forward 40-something years later, almost 50 years later, and you have a phenomena that's people have watched and know about around the world that they're making pillows out of and blankets and Hawaiian shirts with leather face on it. And there are sequels upon sequels. They just announced a new one. Hollywood has made a bunch of those sequels. I'm not exactly sure what tune of money it made, but it made a ton of money over the years, you know, but nobody knew that. And I, I wonder if we want to get a little metaphysical do you have, what is it that drives you? Like, what is it that drives me to work 24 hours a day? What is it drive, that drives you to make your show? Is there some connection to a future thread? Are you destined for bigger things? And what was it that pressed Toby to do all of this? And that was the inspiration for South, South Texas Blues. I was writing it when I was, I started writing it when I was 32. 
And um, I was obsessed the same way. I, was ma- I just started really making Montauk Chronicles. And um, I was struggling. I was working in construction, you know, to, to make ends meet. And I knew how he felt back then. And so I got inside his head and did a lot of research, spoke to a lot of people involved and wrote this story. And it's, it's, um, it's very cerebral because, you know, when he uh, meets a lot of the film school students that were hired from the, the Austin University, uh, he sees them as hyenas at times and different things. So it's a very imaginative take on a very true story of the making of this insane movie where they, it was made under extreme conditions. Um, you know, for instance, that dinner scene, if you've ever seen the film at the end, one of the most intense scenes in the film, you know, we're talking about 100 plus degree heat in the house for 32 hours straight. People were already exhausted. There was rotting meat on the table. Uh, Gunnar Hansen, who played Leatherface, had not changed his wardrobe in weeks and he was he stank. And so the room was horrible between the rotting meat and him and the tension between the crew that all permeated into the film. And so part of the reason why this thing lasted over the years is because of that intensity is because of all the things that were happening behind the scene. And because of the director was so obsessed and everybody was just so crazy on the set. The result is this thing that is forever lasting. And like I said, the antithesis is somebody who, you know, is overpaid and is, is watching their television show on a couch. So, (laughs) So um, this is a uh, nonfiction account of the making of Texas Chainsaw Massacre um, in a graphic novel form. A couple of questions. Did you do the artwork yourself and did you consult with anybody for uh, some details that might not be you know, commonly known? Uh, this is 100% an adaptation, including obviously the artwork and the cover and everything was written or drawn as a thumbnail by me first or discussed because it's I. this was a screenplay, a 120-page document. And I worked with somebody, uh, Trevor Cook, who did posters for my documentary and stuff like that. I've known him for a while. And I said, hey, man, I want to turn my script into a graphic novel. But it was a very close relationship because this is the first representation of a movie I'm obsessed to make. And it had to be close to everything in the script. So everything you see in the graphic novel was action description first. It was completely described and many conversations and many notes, photo morgues to refer to and all of that. So that was my part in the graphic novel. I wrote it. I designed it, came up with all the ideas and published it. So Trevor Cook is the illustrator of the book. First, Very first cool. book. Very cool. And um, and did you consult with anybody as far as like cast members or crew? Yeah, yeah. I spoke to Jim C. Dow, who played the cook. I'm very close to Edwin Neal, who played the hitchhiker for 20 years. Um, I spoke to Paul Partain, who played Franklin. Um, I spoke to other cast and crew members, uh, including... Um, he had a different name, but he played, he played a character in Poltergeist. Uh, I'm sorry that his name escapes me right now. Uh, he was actually murdered in Texas some years ago, but I spoke to him way back, well over a decade ago, we had a good conversation. And so collectively between that and hundreds of interviews that I read and documentaries that I saw, I had to put together a story that was never in chronological order. Obviously this predates, um, Gunnar Hansen's biography. I spoke to Gunnar Hansen just about every night for about a two month period. And then eventually he said, I'd like to write my, my biography. And I said, no, no problem. You know, because he, he wanted to go do his own thing. And it's a cool, it's a cool book, but um, nobody has the perspective that Toby Hooper had, you know, Gunnar Hansen wasn't there every day. He wasn't there from the beginning to the end and neither was anybody else. The only person that could be the protagonist of this story is Toby Hooper. And so, you know, I purposefully avoided speaking with him because I, I had this idea that I needed to get very cerebral. And I did. I, I had so many stark visions of what I was going to do with this. And you'll see there's some very unique moments uh, that I didn't want to interfere with that. And I felt like I had enough from everything from early interviews in Playboy and Fangoria to, you know, newspaper interviews. I mean, I read everything there was to read about how he felt and about his history that I felt like I had enough, you know? 
Like I, I felt like they did the work for me in that case. And so I, the rest of it was putting the pieces together and, and creating a story. And so you were still working on this uh, around the time that he died, right? Because didn't he die just a couple of years ago? Maybe maybe two or three years ago? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, um, I mean, I wrote and finished the screenplay in 07. And then we started on the graphic novel after that. And it was published in Fangoria magazine as a comic strip throughout 2012. So this has been going on for a long time. And then I really urged Trevor and said, look, this has to get finished. And it's a slightly, at least book one is a slightly abridged version of my screenplay. So I had to write when you're translating from action description to image, you're not getting every image in every moment. So I had to write new stuff for the book and make it work. You know, it had to work perfectly as a story. Why that movie? Um, and uh, I definitely enjoyed it when I saw it at 19, kind of dropped my jaw. But um, wait, why to you? Because it's the epitome of uh, intensity and things happening on the set, good and bad, that answers the question, why is a movie so powerful? And you can't manufacture that in a boardroom with a bunch of people in a think tank and people you're paying to figure out demographics. This is about intensity, about obsession. And a lot of those people tend to squash that. They want to wash it. They want to sanitize it and sterilize it. But they're okay with banking on something like this, which is just so contradictory. So what they need to understand, and part of South Texas Blues, there's many reasons why I wrote it, but one of them is maybe, you know, people in these positions that I think are, uh, they shouldn't be in, might realize why these things make so much money is because of all of that intensity is because you kind of have to let a little, as I say in, in the book, you have to let a little mayhem into the picture. You can't sterilize everything. It can't be safe. We would never have all of the great films and TV shows if we had all these personalities coming in to squash everything and keep everything safe and don't say this and don't do this and no, this guy's crazy. We can't let him work anymore. The minute they do that, you have mediocrity and that affects the world. Um, I'm not saying the Texas Chainsaw Massacre has inspired the world, but it is respected by some of the greatest filmmakers ever and inspired them. Mind you, we wouldn't have the intensity of, you know, William Friedkin's later films because he loved the Texas Chainsaw Massacre so much and respects that movie so much that it inspired him. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre inspired Ridley Scott to make Alien. And he even admits this. He's like, this is my science fiction version of that film. And if you look, the, the interaction between the actors in Alien is very similar to Texas Chainsaw. It's very fluid and real, but then you have these incredibly composed you know, production design sets and ideas and these incredible master shots mixed with very fluid interaction. So anyhow, yeah, you know, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have all of these incredible films that we celebrate that have longevity, that are there forever and that have influenced other artists and just people in general, you know, even just that amorphous energy when you get excited about a song or a great movie helps things it it changes the world in a sense so if you have a committee of people who are just all about sitting in the boardroom and they're against any kind of energy that's out of the box or, or unique we're ruining society you know i mean like we've lived in the american idol society for the last at least the last decade and it's hurt music you know because you've had a gentleman there saying no to people who are awkward well, we wouldn't have Janis Joplin. We wouldn't have Jimi Hendrix. We wouldn't have Jim Morrison. We wouldn't have all of those people if that asshole was sitting there when they were trying to make music. And so I, these are things I speak about in the book. Um, and I'll continue to in my career. And I also think this is the age of self-publishing. Don't listen to Don't ask for permission. Don't allow anyone to stop you. Don't allow anyone to tell you what you're doing is wrong. You just do it and make it and put it out in the world. Let, let's see what happens. You know, let it get out there. It does come with an interesting rub, though, because you're mentioning the boardroom of executives who are sterilizing the content. Do you think that 
if they were encouraging the content, the content would lose its edge because now that you don't have anything to rebel against. Now you can't have something and say this is this is a direct answer to your sterilization of it. You're making a point, but the people I'm speaking about make it absolutely impossible for you to do anything. They'll shut you down. They'll either say, do it our way, or you can't do it. And um, so let's talk about a producer like Robert Evans. We used to have producers uh, that nurtured filmmakers. So whereas Evans would step in to Francis Coppola on his first cut of The Godfather and say, you delivered a trailer. I want you to go further. That's the type of boardroom we need. Challenge the person in that way to push them further, not to pull back and say, you can't do that. This is bad. You need people in the boardroom with taste who love movies. Robert Evans loved movies. That's why we had Chinatown, Rosemary's Baby. You know, you need to know film history to understand this. If you don't know film and TV history, I don't believe you should be making films or making TV in any sense of the word. Even if you're the money guy, love TV. Look back, look at back at what's great. Learn to appreciate it because if you don't, you're making garbage, you know? And, I, and people, some people are okay with making garbage, I'm not. So as a producer myself, the things I'm designing going forward are not just for me. I plan to nurture people. You know, if you look at early films of Stanley Kubrick, uh, to Kubrick, to Cronenberg, to any of these people. Their early films were a little wonky, you know? They weren't what they were later, but that was because people nurtured them, didn't coddle them, but nurtured them. Nurture can take the form of someone challenging you and pushing you like Evans did to, um, to Francis Coppola. I would argue their later films are wonky too. It's just that they developed a style that people became accustomed to. Right, I think that at that point, they had already made the name, made the money, became independent and didn't even have that nurturing or they lost some inspiration. That's what it was. You know, like Friedkin talked about losing his inspiration after Sorcerer, which was an amazing movie, but came out at the wrong time. Sorcerer comes out some years after The Exorcist and it was like, you know, crickets. Nobody cared. And he said, yeah, I lost something. And then he comes back with a movie like Cruising that was just so angry and nihilistic. And that was his like revenge, just pissed off. And he slowly lost his, his inspiration. He wasn't the filmmaker. He was he even admitted it. And then he comes back later with uh, rules of engagement as an older man and had a few really interesting movies after that. So everybody has a different way, but you're right. You're like people do lose their edge, but I think at this, that point where they're, they've, become a little bit more like the guys in the boardroom. They're just, you know, money is, uh... but yeah, I think um, a filmmaker can lose their edge when they're, when they're feeling too comfortable. They're not hungry anymore. They're losing their inspiration. Inspiration comes from hunger and sometimes a lack of money. You know, the, the mother of invention necessity is like pushing you to do interesting things. Do you think that the uh, pandemic is, creating a new generation of people who are hungry to push the limits like you're talking about, or might it have an opposite effect? It's hard to say um, right now. I think we'll know next year. And also we have this incredible new medium uh, called virtual reality, which is just like endless possibilities in there as for creators. Let's see what people do. Uh, as a reaction to this, I would say this is stage one, just being in lockdown. I made a film when I was in lockdown and I'll, it'll be out next year. It started as a, a shorter film and now it's expanding into a feature. I've done so much and it's, it's, it's so personal and, and I, I love it. And so I'm going to continue to work on it. It's inspired me. That, that film would have never happened if it wasn't for this. So, and, and I love it so much. It just, it helped me survive, you know, as, as an artist and as a person because I was alone so much. Well, tell us about uh, your new podcast too. My gosh, so many new projects. But uh, yeah, tell us about Off to the Witch. So Off to the Witch is, um, you know, I, I, I got inspired by working with you guys. Uh, you know, we did Beyond Strange World, and then I went and did The Mask. And um, I, I wanted to try something in the, um, the audible world. 
And uh, I looked back at uh, old radio dramas, everything from stuff that Orson Welles did in the Mercury Theater to, uh, to Rod Serling even doing it. And I was like, let me, let me try something interesting. Maybe I can have very powerful interviews uh, as a segment, but also have storytelling and make it somewhat personal, but keep it interesting. And it's written. You know, I, I write all of my own stuff uh, and pre-record it because I want it to feel liter- uh, literary. You know, uh, I want people to feel like they're hearing a, a story being told. So I'm, I'm keeping it solid in those moments. And um, each episode will have a theme. And uh, I just wanted, you know, I wanted something I wanted to try, just like um, everything else that I'm doing. You know, the hosting thing was never really anything I wanted to do a hundred percent, but I figured if I was going to do it, I have to be interested in it. And then I, I realized that I was very inspired by people like Serling or um, Leonard Nimoy and in search of, and I, I was inspired to go forward and try that, you know, outside of just making stuff. So this is a uh, interview style show or is it, give us some, uh, give us some examples here of some of your episodes. So each show. Okay. So, uh, well, my first episode, uh, its theme is the end of summer in the twilight zone. And the reason why I refer to this period of time as the twilight zone is because if you're familiar with the show, uh, I'm, you know, I'm holding it uh, parallel to everything that's been happening since March. And so everything from, you know, odd, pandemics that are affecting the world, fears of the world ending, odd technologies that are coming into play, like, um, you know, during the pandemic or during our lockdown, uh, Elon Musk uh, announced Neuralink. This is science fiction, but it's real now. And he took out these two pigs that he was experimenting, this odd thing that eventually people are going to have ported with minor surgery into their heads. And it will do everything from if you want to just listen to music, think of a song, you know, you want to listen to, you know, David Lee Roth's Yankee Rose, it'll be pumped into your head in two seconds. Or if you want to be in a theater, in a VR theater, watching um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, think of it and it'll happen. That's, that's where we're headed. And that's what we'll see happen in less than a decade. It will be manufactured and marketed. And the VR systems, which I have two of them, and they're fantastic, but they're going to be primitive soon. What it will be is incorporated into our, our brains with something sort of like Elon Musk's Neuralink. That's another thing. Um, you know, everything that's been going on here is, uh, we can refer back to the Twilight Zone, all these odd technologies, all the things happening in the world, this enormous change, the political, social political upheaval that we've seen in, in the Twilight Zone, you know, all of that. And so I feel like we're living in Serling's world, that he was somewhat of a prophet that he predicted this years ago. And um, I started with that theme. And I talk about Serling. And another thing is, very similar to South Texas Blues, Serling didn't grow up in this, well, he did early, before he was 18. He grew up in a small town, New York, upstate New York, had a wonderful life, you know, traditional, you know, Americana you know, beautiful life, good family, uh, working class, you know, family. But at 18, he volunteers and he goes, he wants to, you know, fight Adolf Hitler. That was his thing. But he ended up in the Philippines in Manila in World War II as a paratrooper and saw the worst atrocities you could possibly imagine. Had to kill people. A lot of people don't know this, you know. So bring yourself there for a second. Think about Rod Serling, young Rod Serling, you know, trying to be as tough as he can be. And now ending up in a situation where all that tough guy stuff that's put into us gets stripped out the minute you have to shoot someone in their eye, kill them, a human being, and then watch a a young mother sitting there with her baby, famished, dying, and have to leave her there. These are things that Sterling experienced. So he comes back with post-traumatic stress disorder, heavy, um, you know, so detrimental that he might die from it you know it's it's killing him as a human being but he found his salvation in writing and started writing those early dramas and plays which eventually evolved into the twilight zone we're seeing this personality that was forged by horror and now brings it into this incredible work therapeutic for him beneficial to all of us as inspiration and um 
that's my point of all of this. I mean, sometimes we can take the darkness of a year like this and process it into something positive. Don't just sit around waiting for it to end. Do something. And that's what I did. I spent the, you know, I mean, I put myself in the hospital, so I had to slow down a little bit, but I was trying to take all of this and things that I lost in the beginning of the year. I mean, I worked so hard to get those projects forward, but they couldn't because no one else could make them with me and, um, and put it all into what I'm doing now and uh, what I'll be doing going forward. And um, that's a big point of the first episode is to process the darkness. And so my, my interview was with Edwin Neal, who played the hitchhiker in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We talked about his time in Vietnam first. I mean, that was half the interview. And then how he came back very similar to Serling, processed it into his performance that we see in that movie and other things that he did. And so I, I, I try to keep a positive thread, even though we're touching on a lot of dark stuff. For sure. Um, I'll say right off the bat, I want nothing to do with that neurological link thing. I'm all set. I... I have so many thoughts in my head where I'm like, that's not rational. And then I would hate for something to just like come to fruition because like I'm thinking about, you know, something absolutely uh, absurd happening. And, you know, I just I want nothing in interfering with my the, the electrons currently firing in my brain. No, no, no matter how they sell it to you. And it'll be trust me, the, the sales pitch is going to be hard to resist it's going to be difficult to resist because we've been trained to want this stuff through fiction. All of the fiction that we've seen over the years, we're like, Oh man, I wish that was real. Well, it's going to be real very soon. It is real now. And, um, but we've also had warnings in all of those movies. If you look at uh, like Philip K. Dick's total recall, there was a warning to all of that. You know, Serling gave warnings about this stuff. A lot of people did. You know, even Stephen King, it's like all those warnings are layered into their work. I say proceed with caution. I think uh, these new technologies can be beautiful, but I certainly don't want to be linked to any mainframe. I think that's the beginning of uh, the Matrix or a Borg, you know, society. Some some would say we're already linked to a mainframe. Oh, yeah, they do. I, you know, <laughs> where do uh, some of some of my dreams are really weird, man. I had a dream the other night. No way. That's surprising. Every night they're weird, but I was in this parking garage and I had this little device in my hand and there was this white truck and there was nobody else in there. And so I saw this truck move forward and I don't know why, but I hit a button and the truck moved back. I made it move back. So whoever was in that truck never got to see him in the dream, got really pissed. And so all this smoke came out of the truck, filled up the entire garage and I ran into this little office area to hide. And then machine guns came out of the truck and blow dart things came out and started shooting at me. And I was certain that this thing was going to kill me. Where this dream came from, I don't know. But I have dreams like that. It's a good one. Do you ever like read um, like dream uh, analysis? I should. I have. You know, they, they, there's some very um, commonalities, I think, amongst people's dreams. Like if you see an eagle or a snake or something like that. But I don't know about this uh, high-tech truck. That was out to get me. I I I uh I smell uh, another graphic novel based on based on that now. Oh, there there will be more. I'm writing a book, a book of fiction. You know, I've been working on that too, but I have to wait till I get a lot of this other stuff done to keep going forward with it. Now you've had so many real experiences that kind of uh, rub up against the paranormal. Um, is that where you draw your fiction from? Yeah. And, and regular real life experiences, I start to realize now I'm, you know, 44, I've, I've seen a lot of stuff, you know, and even before I was 25. Uh, so it's, it's stuff that I thought maybe then were um, painful and they hurt and things I can draw from that good stuff too. And so it's, it's all of that stuff that I draw from uh, literature that I've read, not that I'm ripping anybody off, but it, it breeds ideas when we read and, um, you know, you hear other people's stories and you're like, that's fantastic. Uh, you know, like there's a story I'm writing in this, this book that I'm writing. Uh, it's a book of short stories and novellas. And one of them is about, or maybe I shouldn't talk about it because someone will rip me off, but it's about a, um, a fictional future going forward from 2020. And things are getting worse. Social political upheaval, uh, money is even tighter. And so it's about a bunch of guys who are hired in New York to guard uh, uh, a fishing vessel. 
And they end up deciding because they are so low on cash that they're going to go and just steal it. And, and this is a fictional future. So a lot of weird stuff has happened, but you know, people are still buying goods. So they're going down the East coast in this fishing vessel that they stole to fish. Hopefully they're going to make some money and sell it and they'll bring the boat back to the guy that hired them. But they, you know, they did this because they need to. And along the way they come to a wreck and there's one survivor and it's just a, you know, broken vessel in the water. And this guy tells the story of this thing that came out of the water and tore their boat down, you know, a, a kraken, you know, like some giant squid thing. And so the rest of the story is they figure, listen, let's go find this thing. We'll catch it. We'll kill it. And we'll make a lot of money. We'll sell it to science. We'll do whatever. So they get obsessed with finding this thing. And the rest of the story is them trying to like go after this thing. And I'm not going to tell you what happens, but that came from this year. You know, it's about what lengths are we going to go to and what risks are we going to take uh, because of the forced poverty that's upon us. So like every, you know, or a lot of people that are going through it, some of us are lucky enough to be able to make money with our artwork, but a lot of people right now cannot make a dime. They lost their jobs. They lost their businesses. They were forced to do it. So this this is a collection of guys like that that had money that were doing well. And now, you know, the only bits of cash they can make is to guard this fishing vessel that's not being used and they steal it. So that's how the story starts. You know, like I was trained by guys like George Romero and stuff like that, watching their films, that there's always subverse subtext and things to say with your work. You know, like Rod Serling. I feel like if it's just a guy killing women in the woods, it's really pointless shit. Is there anything that you can reference uh, historically that uh, is similar to what you were just talking about, where you have members of a society that were doing really well and something out of their control happened and then they were uh, forced to adapt and, you know, guard this vessel and and now we got to figure out a new way to make money and, and a new hustle. Is there anything historically that that you can reference yeah um there there are guys in in the military that ended up pulling off heists together because they had all these skills but they came back and they were you know they were not paid at all they couldn't get a job they serve their country and they come back and they decide we know all this stuff let's um let's use it uh, that's one example. I think a lot of people have been driven to things. Uh, unfortunately, I've heard a lot of stories, and even in my family, you know, somebody passed away during this. That I think, if this year didn't happen, they wouldn't have. It was an unfortunate situation, and person who died way too young. And um, this year's tough, and you've got to not allow it to swallow you whole like that kraken, you know, <laughs> like. And don't chase it. <laughs> Stay safe. Guard the boat. <laughs> Before I forget, where did you get the title for the uh, podcast? So Off to the Witch is a, another story that I wrote. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you where I got it from, but it's actually a story and it'll be in the book. And the name of the book is Off to the Witch, the collection of short stories as well. That is a lyric from uh, Dio's song, Last in Line. And, uh, you know, it's We're Off to the Witch. We may never, never, never come home but the madness that we'll feel is worth a lifetime. So that's, that's the lyric from the, the song. Wow. Okay. Well, Christopher, before we let you go, uh, because we cover a lot of topics here and I feel like we kind of just, we rub, again, rub up against a lot of them uh, with you um, naturally just in conversation. But what I want to do is some kind of rapid fire, right? Can you, can you tell me, uh, why these things are real if I if I throw them out at you. And Lance, feel free to participate. <laughs> All right. Uh, so B Bigfoot, tell me, tell me why that's real. Uh... To me, it doesn't seem so far-fetched. And I'll tell you why. Because I, I have hunters in my family and I have friends with them. And sometimes they'll go out and deer at times are so elusive or whatever they're game they're hunting is that they'll never see it and they can be out there for two days so imagine if you will a conscious you know even more intelligent than a deer uh being that just felt at some point we're not going to fit in in this world and um you know the, over throughout history they're kind of seeing what we're doing and you know they're they're conscious of their population too they're so they're not imagine if you will it's something 
that's not like a deer that doesn't have this kind of you know animalistic breeding population it knows it's got to keep its population down and it knows it has to be extremely elusive because we you know the aliens or whatever we are rule the world you know these things that are destroying everything that are fighting each other that are building these things that put smoke into the air and so uh you know we just need to go way up in the mountains or wherever we have the vantage point and again they're they're not like us they don't have all this stuff everywhere so their senses are really sharp. They can hear things coming a mile away, especially us, because we're loud and annoying. Um, you know, like all those Bigfoot shows where the guys are like, you know, you know, they, this is how they enter the forest. <laughs> it's like, how are you going to find Bigfoot like that? Um, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and the scent, you know, they can smell things. Um, you know, consult with hunters, because I rarely see that on these shows. These people just go out there yelling and screaming and making noises. Uh, I think it's very believable. You know, the mountain gorilla was something that seemed to be rare or extinct. And then Diane Fossey found it, what, after, was it seven months or something? Really looking and then finding it. And it's not Bigfoot, but it's close enough. So I just don't feel like it. I, when people laugh at that, it's like, I don't know. I just think you're too, you're too isolated in your own artificial world. You know, it's like, come on, you know, odd things exist out there. We have proof of it. Uh, so I don't think it's that far-fetched to believe that there's something else out there that's just kind of hiding out. I think a lot of good people over the years have seen these things. Yeah, there, there's some lies and, and trickery and hoaxes. Of course there are. But I also think credible people have seen it, uh, you know, and even historical figures like Daniel Boone and uh, Theodore Roosevelt believed in a story that a man told him about a you know, very severe you know, attack on these two trappers that were out in the middle of the woods. So I, I feel like it's something that you can believe. And I, I believe at the very least it, it was out there at some point, or there's, there's something like that because it's been seen all over the world, not just here in the States. I am very fascinated by this game that Tim just made up right now. He just made up this game. Can I just add a little bit to what, what you said? I think you're right that it's, it shouldn't be that far-fetched, and I, I certainly am, am not opening, you know, hoping to not open the door to make fun of people who might believe in that. Um, but if we accept that the ocean has things, species we're just still learning about uh, now, which is, you know, scientifically accurate, um, we can wonder, you know, what the hell is going on in the wilderness? Um, all, there's so much of this country, just using it as an example, that is wilderness. Um, and th that isn't traveled every day at all. So who the hell knows what's in there? Same goes for space. All right, I'm off my soapbox. No, absolutely. And you know what? We hear a lot of stories about bodies that people have been searching for for years and years and years, and, and they just turn up because the body, uh, whoever was looking, just didn't happen to look in that direction. And you're talking about a body that is deceased. I mean, if you have an intelligent being that's living in the vast wilderness and can hear and smell something coming towards them, they will have the... They will have the, the, I mean, there are sightings, there are some sightings, and maybe they've been caught a couple of times, but, you know, if they have a, a level of intelligence and their instinct is to, is to retreat and hide, they probably are experts at it. I mean, you've probably walked past them. Right. See them as uh, like elusive mountain people. You know, they're, they're aware. They know about us. It's different than a deer. And deer are elusive to begin with and other animals. So, I, again, that the whole idea of a Sasquatch is not far-fetched to me. It just isn't only because I think about it and I read about these things. And, you know, I think a lot of people don't. So immediately they're seeing these uh, beef jerky commercials and they're like, that's not real. And it's like, well, I understand why you don't believe it's real. And I, I don't want to, uh, trying not to, and I'm definitely not insulting people who are very religious, but if you were to have a beef jerky commercial that featured, uh, Jesus Christ holding a, a beef jerky stick. I mean, would people be like, Jesus Christ isn't real? You know, it, it, it's funny. Like, it's interesting to me that people will believe in something like the Bible, which is pretty much based in uh, historical fantasy, I guess, as opposed to something like aliens, which is not far-fetched at all. If you were to consider like how we've evolved, why why couldn't another um, population evolve in on another uh, another planet, another galaxy? Hey, there's farts on Venus. Exactly. 
Yeah, well, you know, we're going to find out. I think we'll see some of it in our lifetime. And, um, you know, if, and perhaps like a lot of us suspect, there's there's a lot hidden from us too. You know, we're not being told certain things. I mean, I are you, am I the only one that feels like there's something more to this year than we've been told? Or is, am I just being paranoid? No, I, I don't think you're being paranoid at all. And I keep wondering why we think it's going to end when the calendar year ends. Everyone is, you know what I mean? Everyone's like, oh, 2020 sucked. Uh, we've been saying this for years. Like, oh, that year sucked. It can't get any worse next year. And it somehow manages to get worse. Um, if if 2021 is, is better, I think of, I can think of a few ways in how it could be better. But I do agree with you that there is some sort of collective thing that is under the surface that maybe we're just not seeing because we're so caught up in what is so obviously bad right now. Right. It, it It's difficult not to, but if we can, a lot of it feels like it was influenced. I, I obviously, you know, a COVID-19 spread because it's a virus, but a lot of the, the unrest, you know, I think some of it is influenced and unfortunately influenced. And um, those people who are influencing it are very re- irresponsible and um, do not deserve to be leaders or, or people that speak to masses. Um, I just wish we had better people leading the way. You know, if we get that, maybe you know things will get better. Right, and I think that coincides with the start of a new year too, which is why people are saying, you know, twenty twenty one will hopefully be better than twenty twenty. Uh, it is. It is very interesting. Tim, do you have any more of these quick fire, like rapid fire scenarios? Big question: What the hell is going on on the planet? Is like in the universe, right? If we're all, if there is intelligent life out there, what does that make us? Uh, I would assume some of that life out there might be more intelligent than us. Does that make us their game? What's going on here? May, may I? May I just uh, answer something for two minutes on that? I, there, this was a warning. The coronavirus was a warning from the environment, from the universe. There are viruses that have been frozen in glaciers that we are melting right now that will be released over the next few years. There, there are viruses that will put the corona, coronavirus, uh, people will not even remember that because there are, there are things within glaciers that are going to get melted out uh, if, if that continues. So It's a lot to look forward to. Stay tuned for that. But we can prevent that. You know, we just need to be aware that this is going to happen. I don't know. All I know is I think, you know, what I just for what we can do as artists and people that create things is keep people inspired. I think uh, inadvertently, if you inspire people, it can create a better energy. And that takes the shape of so many things. If we have nothing but cynical, vacant, boring, mediocre content out there. Uh, in terms of movies, music, podcasts, literature, everything. If it just doesn't have anything to it, no passion, no vibe. Remember, this is a very real thing. Music has moved people, has changed the world. Movies and literature and ideas and great speakers and mediators. When we don't have that anymore, we lose so much. And look at what happens. Everybody's just at each other's throats and people are burning cities down. It's like, you know, we need that. We need people to come back again. So if anybody can hear this right now, whether you're young or old or whatever, make something, make something with passion, make something for people. It's, it's the greatest way you can contribute right now, because no matter what it is, whether, you know, no matter what it is you can do, you know, even if it's a, it's a good word, a good thing to say, but if if you invest in cynicism and negativity, it's not going to help anything right now going to further destroy the world really will because that stuff expands and affects so much i i needed my uh i needed my christopher garitano uh injection of uh positive energy so appreciate that it's true it's a hundred percent true you cannot deny it and where can people get your uh, graphic novel uh, right now at southtexasblues.com. Eventually we'll have it up on Amazon, even though, you know, they take a lion's share of what we're selling because I, th- I don't know how many comic book shops are open. And frankly, when you're, you know, doing smaller run, 
publication, you don't really want to give it all over and then find out nine months later how many copies you sold. So it's much more convenient for us to have it available for you in places that you can literally just go and order it securely from, uh, you know, PayPal and Stripe and stuff like that. But yeah, online on the website right now. Great. Thank you so much, Christopher Garitano. We will check out your work and your new podcast. Thank you so much, guys. get into this week's riddle tim let's get in it a leak in the harem the blue cork goes pop bearers in the garden who knows when it will stop predator so popular as it toys with its prey a game for the saboteur lurking by the bay